Um, welcome to church this morning. Uh, it's good to see all your faces, those of you watching online as well. Uh, just wanted to begin today by thanking Dan and Dan, uh, giving me a chance to come up here and talk. It's got to be nerve-wracking for them, because <laughs> who knows what I'm going to say. Uh, if I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, my name's Tanner. Uh, I say this because I normally talk to the junior high students here at the church on Wednesday nights, but very grateful any chance I get to come and open this book and talk about what it says uh, to us. So just want to say thanks. Thanks for being here. I know you didn't know I was going to talk, but now you're a captive audience. So uh, just to begin, wanted to tell you about something interesting I saw just recently. Um, I'm not a huge space guy, but every once in a while I'll see an article or video pop up of something in regards to our NASA exploration or recent years like the SpaceX stuff, which is totally mind-blowing. I think I haven't got into it because I can't wrap my mind around it. Like now they're able to land back on Earth, these rockets, like, straight up in that, like, things out of movies that I thought would never happen, they're happening. So, this, rec just recently, back in February, I saw an article about the fact that we landed a new rover on Mars. So, another reason why I think I haven't got into it is I can't even comprehend that we can land a machine. I, could, I, could, I think I could understand if we could, like, crash something into Mars, but... We are like gently landing these billion dollar machines on a planet, and I looked this up, I don't know this off the top of my head, but that's 177 billion miles away. It's, Im it's amazing to me. It's pretty incredible that we've progressed that far in our understanding of physics, science, whatever you want to say, to be able to do that. Anyways, uh, I digress. Um, the reason this caught my eye was because this new rover that we landed on Mars has a very specific name. It's called Perseverance. Turns out it was named by a 13-year-old young man who entered a contest. They name all the rovers this way, where you write in and say why you think it should be named this and um, what you think it should be named. And he had written in and said he thought it should be named Perseverance, and he won the contest. Just for some context, other rovers that we put on Mars have been called things like Curiosity, sojourner in spirit. So these are things, these are attributes that we express as humans, and they love things like that, because then we can say, like, for this instance, with perseverance, we, we are a persevering race. We are a persevering people. And that was his, this 13-year-old boy's uh, claim. We've, we've, he said that we've missed the most important attribute that we express as humans, this ability to persevere to hit a wall in some way, to hit a trial or a challenge in some ways, and to go beyond that and keep on going. And in regards to space, we see that. We see where there have been things, you know, just in the last, in recent history, where huge failings, and yet we keep on going. So basically, the message NASA was trying to say is we can overcome anything. We can persevere through anything because we're humans. We have that ability. Similarly, there was a book written a few years ago, which I, I will let you know I didn't read, but I watched the TED Talk of the lady who wrote it, a self-help book uh, entitled Grit, kind of going on the same idea. The subtitle is The Power of Passion and Perseverance. So along the same lines, she and her colleagues were trying to research what 
makes in a person that attribute to hit a trial, hit a wall, and keep on going beyond it. And she was at once a middle school math teacher, and she kind of was seeing in her kids, it wasn't the smartest kids who were succeeding in her math class. It was the kids who were the grittiest, as she would call it. The kids who would hit a challenge, get a new type of problem put before them, and they would be able to sometimes fail, sometimes succumb to that uh, challenge, and yet go beyond it, keep on trying to learn. She did a ton of research on it, and basically what her TED Talk says, I'll tell you so you don't have to watch the TED Talk, was that she actually doesn't know what that attribute is. She doesn't know what breeds it in some people and in other people, they don't have it. They, they have a lack of that ability to hit a wall they, and they crumble in front of it. So she didn't know what exactly it was, but there is something in some people that makes them keep on going. She even developed this assessment. It's only 10 questions, and I had to take it, which, which tells you how gritty you are. Um, and it was really interesting. I'll give you my score so you can compare it to what you go and do later. But I got a 3.5 out of 5 points. And these questions can, are kind of ones like this. She asked, do you finish what you begin? Do you overcome setbacks? Do you get discouraged? when you meet adversity, things like that. And you have to be honest with yourself, rate yourself on those things, and it'll give you that score. So I got a 3.5 out of 5, and I was thinking, I don't know if I want to tell people that, or, but it, it also says when it gives you your score where you match up with the rest of the people who have taken the assessment. And that was, it told me I ranked higher than 40% of Americans who took that test. So I'm, I guess I didn't do too bad, but <laughs> uh, still kind of just crazy to think. Like, people are honestly assessing themselves, and they're showing that they don't have that ability, or they do maybe just a little bit. So what her claim in her book was was similar to the thing with NASA, though, that in, in humanity, we have some sort of spark or some sort of energy that for, mo for some people, maybe not most, but for some people, they have that ability to persevere. And if you just grit your teeth a little bit, you have show a little toughness, you can move on past those tough things in life. And this just brought to mind, you know, looking at our culture, I think that we love stories of people who persevere. You know, we put those before our young people and say, look at these people, uh, scientists or athletes or whatever, and we say, look, at they've they had these different challenges and trials and setbacks along the way, but they kept on going. That's what we want our young people to do, right? I think we love these stories of perseverance, but when it comes to actually being persevering people ourselves, I think we often don't do it. I think we, as Wyomingites, might be an exception to the rule in a lot of ways. Um, but I think there are two big problems. The first problem is, I think, the one that most of us would criticize, the group that we would criticize, are the people who really do want quick, fi quick fixes in life. They don't want to have challenges. They just want everything to just be smooth sailing their whole life. And, and so when they hit a trial, they usually fall short of it. They, they crumble to that trial, right? We, as Wyomingites, kind of go the to the opposite end of the spectrum. I think we're really tough. I think, well, you guys are tough. I'm not very tough. I was going to tell you I have calluses on my hands, cause it, but it's not because I work hard with my hands, but I'm trying to get better at pull-ups, so that's why I've got calluses. But we're Wyomingites. You guys are tough people. You, got, you, you are bred to be tough people, and I think that's why 
a lot of us, our community, is a, is a persevering community. The issue with that, though, is I think we persevere or we tough through things on our own power. I think we do it a lot with that gritted teeth and we, we just kind of know, okay, well, something bad happened, I got to just pick myself up and go, go forward. And that's, that's good. I think God likes that about us. I think that God likes that about a tough, hardworking person. But there's something missing there. When we do it on our own power, there's something missing. So I want to look into the scriptures today and see what they say to help us reframe our understanding of what perseverance should really be like and how we as a people of God can persevere in the right way. So we're going to look at the book of James today. Two different spots in James. First in the first chapter, and then a couple verses in the fifth chapter as well, just to kind of round out this view of perseverance. So, get a better look at the clock. Okay, <laughs> background on the book of James. James is traditionally believed to be the brother, half-brother of Jesus. Um, this might... Uh, raise a question in your head, because we read in the, if you read the Gospels, you know that there are times in Jesus' ministry when his family comes to him, and they're like, Jesus, maybe you should stop. Like, they, they didn't believe in what Jesus was doing, essentially. And then in history, we know that James actually ended up becoming the leader of the followers of Jesus, the way of Jesus in Jerusalem. So in between those two things, something had to happen, right? He went from not believing in Jesus, what he was saying, what he was doing, what he was teaching, to becoming a, not just a follower of Jesus, but a leader in his church. Something had to happen between these two points in time. And we actually know what that is, or we can guess what it is. We read in 1 Corinthians that James was one of the people who saw the resurrected Jesus. And, and it names James as, like, also James, the brother of Jesus, witnessed him. And he's listed alone, which just makes me think, like, could you imagine being James, being Jesus' brother, growing up with him and being like, ah, I don't believe you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, in his rec- resurrected form, shows up not to James and a group of people, but just James. Could you, I'm not saying Jesus would have gloated, but could you imagine? James didn't believe in him, and then he sees him resurrected, and he thinks, oh, he was right. He's telling the truth. So yeah, Jesus, I don't know if he's a gloater, but he changed James. James had probably, then you could argue, like one of the greatest conversions that we read about in the New Testament, going from growing up with Jesus and not believing his message to believing in him and leading his church in Jerusalem. That's a big change. James believed in Jesus so much that he was eventually martyred in 62 AD. James, as a book, as a letter, uh, is is a good one. It's a great one. I think it's it's a lot like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's just short, clear, potent wisdom. It's it's clearly written out, easy to understand, illustrations and things like that. So it's it's often a place that people go if you don't want to do a lot of trying to uh, to understand or interpret scripture. James is a great place to go. Though you do have to interpret, you do have to understand some context. It's just a great place to go for some clear wisdom. So this is James's work as a follower of his brother Jesus, his Lord and Savior, though Jesus, over the years of his life as a follower of his. So. We're going to read a couple of verses in chapter 1. I'll read them first. What I'm going to do is 
read them all, take you through the verses we read line by line, pull some things out, and then at the end, just give you a few thoughts to take home with you. So chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is the first spot we're going to read. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's that word. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we're going to flip over to chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. James says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let's go through these line by line. So first, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So you might have a translation that says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, and, and the remaining part of the verse, which is helpful for us, I think. James is essentially saying, in your trials, tally up your profits and your losses, your things that you did gain through an experience, which in trials often you don't feel like you gain a lot, do you? And your losses. And the thing that we're supposed to see here is if we value what God values, somehow this should produce joy in us. So though the losses might be high, the things that we if we take the time to think and we take the time to ask God, what are you doing in this time of trial? That should produce joy in us. Those things that are produced should produce joy. And that's a big if, if we value what God values. So count it all joy. Consider it all joy. James, in his wisdom, he's assuming that the people he's writing to are going to undergo and face different trials. And this word can also be translated as testing, which I think is helpful too. Testing, trials, temptations is another way to put it. This means, because he says many, of many kinds, these are small trials, big trials, and everywhere in between. These are all things in life that we deal with. We are all, I would say, probably every single person in this room is dealing with a trial of some sort, whether it be really small or really weighty, really big. And I hope I'm not alone in this, but this is always a tough verse for me because I'm like, how am I supposed to consider it? How am I supposed to count it all joy? And like I said, it's, it's when we value what God values, but it's still a tough, it's a challenging verse, I think, for us all. Because my first instinct when I come before a test or a trial comes to me is generally not joy, right? I mean, I'm usually angry or anger's little brother frustration, or I, I do some sort of self-defense, I'm cold towards other people, or I, I start throwing things or something like that. I'm a, I, that was a joke. I don't throw things. Um, I'm usually not joyful, though, when a trial comes. Even in, in uh, I especially, like little things that, that bug you, those, those can just toss us off course so easy. And I think part of the reason is I think joy, I personally think of joy a lot of the time as something shown externally. It's like somebody with a big smile and like good posture and like real, a lot of pep in their step as they walk in the door of the church. Like that, that's kind of my picture in my mind's eye of what joy is. And I think that's true. I think joy expresses itself in that way sometimes, but I also wanted to tell you that this word joy can be translated as 
calm delight. And I think that's a lot more realistic for me. I, I want to think of joy as something that doesn't happen externally, but it happens in here. It happens in my heart. It's something where I am hopeful and calm and joyful in here, not necessarily outward. Maybe that could help you. That's a little more realistic for me, but it still is begging that question, James, why am I supposed to consider it joy? Why am I supposed to add these things up and see this trial as a prophet in my heart? How am I supposed to do this? How could we possibly do this? Let's look at the next verse, verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's that word. So here's why that calm delight, here's why pure joy should come over us when we face testing, face trials. Testing leads us into a proven faith. Our faith or our ability to trust in God or believe in him, though it's much more than that, faith is much more than just belief, is arguably an untrue faith unless it's tested in some way, isn't it? We can't just call ourselves faithful people unless we prove it in some way. We don't just let anybody be a surgeon, do we? Like we don't just like shuffle people in from the street into an operating room, put them, a, put them on, in a gown and a cap and give them some gloves and a scalpel and be like, can you be done with this heart surgery in like 15 minutes? We don't do that. We make them go through years. They, they have to dedicate a part of their life to testing themselves to make sure they can do this right. That's not a perfect analogy. A better analogy, I think, is uh, maybe in how we think of car manufacturers as they test cars and figure out how safe they are. It's like testing the limits of how far this thing can go. Not necessarily like an academic type of test, but a test of, let's see how far we can push this thing. We don't have true faith. We don't have proven faith unless it's tested in some way. And that process uh, that it talks about, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That process is taking us through. The testing of our faith is producing in us. It's yielding this fruit, which is called perseverance. This is the word in Greek, hupomeno. I know you didn't want to learn Greek today, but hupomeno, kind of a fun word to say. This literally is translated to stay under. It's the, it's the word that it, basically if you read it in your New Testament, it's either patience or perseverance or standing firm, something like that. The second half of that word, it's a two-part word though, meno is where we get the word abide. So think John 15, Jesus' main teaching on the spiritual life where you, we as people are the branch and Jesus is the vine and if we want to have spiritual life, we must remain connected to the vine. That's Jesus' understanding of the spiritual life. We have to be connected to him if we are to have spiritual life. This is a part of perseverance. This is the big thing that I hope you can take away is we need to understand that in our perseverance, an integral part of that is remaining connected to God. Remember the ways that we talk, I talked about at the beginning, our world markets to us this type of perseverance in which the power source is in here somewhere inherently. It's, it's human-based, isn't it? And James, and I think the Bible, and I think God wants us to see, if we're going to truly persevere, we need, to con- we need to be connected to God in our perseverance. That's super important. This is more than just patience, you guys. This is more than just 
taking a hit from a trial in our life and just being like, oh, I just got to be patient. It's more than that. A way that I heard that word, hupomeno, uh, another way I heard it defined was as unswerving constancy, which is really wordy, fancy way, but basically it's just saying this is abiding with endurance. That's, that's what this is. It's not just patience. It's abiding with endurance. Verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this action of abiding in God with endurance in the face of the trials that are inevitably going to come our way leads us somewhere, leads to something in us. That word maturity can also be translated as perfection or wholeness. We kind of buck against those words because we don't want to feel like we can call ourselves perfect, but the Bible is saying wholeness. This is what we're after is a spiritual type of wholeness in our heart, a purity in a sense. And then he lists completeness and not lacking anything. So this is just, it's paradoxical, right? Where our trials are going to, which we often view as like taking things away from us, our losses column is much higher than our gains column. This is James again saying, look, these, these things, that they might seem like losses, but they're actually adding to you. They're maturing you. They're, they're refining you into who you're supposed to be, the, who God is calling you to be. That's what they're really doing. It might seem like, and it might literally be taking things away from you externally, but internally you're being built up. You're being matured. These are the kind of attributes in our spiritual life that are only developed in the face of opposition and trial and testing, and all those things bring along with them pain and hurt and suffering too. I, I read a thing about a study where these people built this perfect environment and they were going to grow plants and see how these plants grew in this quote-unquote perfect environment. And the trees that grew in this place actually grew and they basically just rotted and fell over and they couldn't figure out why and they eventually found out that it was because they didn't have to grow strong roots. There was no wind. There was no wind to strengthen them and this is the whole idea that we're getting here. If we think of it in terms of that vine and branches analogy too, if you are the branch and Jesus is the vine and you're trying to hold on to him for your spiritual life, if I don't ever have something that's testing me, moving me around, jostling me around, I'm not going to grow stronger in that connection. I, and I'm not going to grow in maturity and completeness into a point where God could say, you're not lacking anything. I'm not going to do that unless I have to persevere through something. So it's in that process of persevering, and again, that's abiding in Jesus with endurance that these crucial transformations occur. It's only in those places that we can grow in maturity. We, we, we know this inherently. You can't get stronger unless you do something to get stronger. Otherwise, your muscles will atrophy. It's the same in our spiritual sense as well. Let's go over to chapter 5. Read these two verses. Brothers and sisters, James says, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So here's our first example of two in these couple of verses of those who did go through a testing, and it was evaluated, this testing showed and evaluated whether their faith 
was true or not. The first example we get is the prophets. And think of the stories we know about the prophets. I was trying to think, you know, most of them did not meet happy endings. I think that one one glaring exception is Jonah, who, like, didn't want to go give his message to the people he was supposed to, and then he did, and then they listened, and he was like, what in the world? But most of the prophets did not have that experience. They, They would in their trying to abide with God, in their trying to obey what God was telling them to do, went to the people or the city or the king that God told them to go speak to, and they would bring forth the message. They would bring, they spoke in the name of the Lord to these people. And as they were talking, all the people that were listening were nodding their heads, and then when they'd get done, they'd say, okay, everybody grab a rock, throw him at that guy till he's dead. That was their end, Right? And, and I, we, don't, we don't have to deal with that sort of stuff today. We don't have that sort of thing before us. That, that, like that, that is true perseverance, to have to persevere, to know almost for certain that I'm going to bring this message to these people and they're going to hate me for it, hate me so much that they're going to think it's okay to stone me to death. That's what they had to go through. For me personally, what's even harder to think about is those prophets that didn't just die right away after bringing one message. It's the prophets that suffered for years and years and years in their whole life. Suffered because of the messages they would bring, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't get the easy out, though it's not an easy out in death. They, w- they would suffer. You think of Jeremiah and all he had to go through. That's suffering. When, when pain and trials and difficult things are prolonged like that, that's when we call it suffering, right? That's what Jeremiah had to go through. And in the face of suffering, the prophets abided with endurance. They persevered. It's clear this isn't just simple patience. Again, this isn't simple patience we're talking about. And it's not also toughness. It's not our roll up our sleeves, just toughness. It's not the power of the human spirit to persevere through hard things. To be able to do what the prophets did, it was more than that. I think it's grace-empowered abiding with endurance. It's grace-empowered perseverance that they had. That's our first example. And then verse 11 says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. So when we persevere, when we do this, when we stay connected to God through those hard things, were counted as blessed. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here's our second example. Job, who if you've read Job, he lost everything he had. Everything. He was, he was, a really, he was wealthy in terms of where he was in history. He was, had everything he could ever want and he was a man of God and yet he lost everything and he was diseased and then his four buddies came over and were like, Job, like, what'd you do? <laughs> They're like, well, you did something, right? Like, you deserve this for some reason, didn't you? We talk about the patience of Job. That's like our, like the Christian way to talk about him. Like somebody has the patience of Job. I would argue that Job had more than patience. If I, if I was Job, I would need more than patience to deal with my buddies saying, you did something to deserve this, right? And to deal with the fact that everything he had his children, his, 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 all of his assets, essentially, think of that in terms of our modern day. If you lost all your children, all your assets, your home, everything, would you need more than patience? I think so. 
We'd need a lot more than patience. So we would need the perseverance of Job. One writer said about Job, Job had a determination to endure, there's that word, uh, whatever might fall to his lot without losing faith in God. And it's both as simple and not as simple as that, you guys. Do we have that ability as followers of Jesus to, no matter what might befall us, we, we are determined to not lose our faith in God? Can you say that about yourself? It's a hard question, and so one that I think we probably purposely avoid. Like, if this were to happen, would I be able to stick with God? I don't know. I, th- I encourage you to think that through, though. James throws in that line at the end, and it's not a throw in. It says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. As he's talking about these two gr- the prophets and then Job, as they suffered and persevered, he's reminding us of God's attributes of compassion and mercy. And this is super important. I, I think we all need to know and all be reminded of the fact that God understands when we go through trial. He's not unaware of the trials we go through, big and small, those trials of many kinds. He, he knows, and he knows what and who we are. He knows our experiences. He knows, he knows what we're made of. You know, we're made of the dust, which is, which is a purposefully crafted way to say, like, we're weak. We have weaknesses, and we have an enemy, too, and he knows that. But I think God also knows that he, at all times, is extending grace to us to endure and to persevere through all these things that are sent our way. So he knows both who and what we are. He knows the trials we go through. He knows that we have an enemy who is coming against us. There's a steady flow of trials coming our way our whole life. He knows that but he also knows that he is at all times offering out to us. This is the analogy I try to use all the time with the junior highs. Like, he's handing you out grace. He's wanting you to take grace to be able to do the things he's calling you to do. He's handing it out to you, saying, here, take this. I want you to be able to do this, but you can't do it. You can try. You can try to grit your teeth and roll your sleeves up and, and muscle through this, but here's grace. I want to give you grace to do this. So he knows both those things. God is compassionate. That's why he gives the grace. That's why he extends out to us a hand saying, I want to help in these trials. Just a few thoughts um, to leave you with. I've, I've got some ideas, things that I hope can be both an encouragement and a challenge to you about what is different then about Christian perseverance. What is the difference between the perseverance that we're marketed in our world today, the perseverance that our human spirit is enough to get us through the hardest times, or that if we just grit our teeth and just keep going no matter what, that we can get through anything? What's, what's the difference between that and Christian perseverance? Number one, I think we have unmatched examples to follow. They're examples for us so that we can look at them and we can say, they did it, therefore, I think I can do it as long as I have God. We, we got two of those examples in those last couple of verses in chapter 5. We have the prophets talked about them, talked about Job. I think we need to acknowledge the early martyrs, the people of the early church who were martyred for their faith, killed for their faith, and think about the fact that there are people still today around this world as we sit here right now who are being persecuted and martyred for their faith. 
I read something crazy uh, just about these early martyrs. Uh, the writer said, the thing that amazed the heathen in the centuries of persecution was that the martyrs did not die grimly, they died singing. That's more than patience. That's far more than patience. To be able to worship as you're being killed for the thing that you believe in with all your heart, that's more than patience. Dan was talking about last week, Polycarp, how he didn't even want to be tied to the stake as he got burned. There's something greater in the Christian that allows us to persevere, and it's not to just grit in our teeth. It's not just being tough. If we're, if we're to worship as we die for our faith, there's something more than patience that needs to happen, and I think it's true perseverance, abiding in Jesus with endurance. And in a typical uh, younger brother move, James didn't use Jesus as an example. He only mentions Jesus twice in his letter, but I think, isn't that funny? Like James, he's like, can't even give his brother credit for <laughs> being an example of this perseverance. He doesn't include him as an example necessarily. But Jesus, is he not an example for us? Is he not an unmatched example? He is our primary example in our life as followers of Jesus, isn't he? And of perseverance for sure. We, we see, I mean, you, you think of any point during what we learned about during, you know, Pastor Dan's series about why he had to die. We talked about it during Easter, the whole passion story. Think about all the persevering Jesus had to do. Trying to connect to God and, and to obey him, obey the Father, obey the plan that they had set forth. He had to persevere. Jesus had to persevere, and he is our primary example. He is our perfect example of perseverance. So we have unmatched examples to follow, and we trust in God's faithfulness both to them and to us. We trust that God, because of the way that those people persevered, he brought about in their life, in their eternal life, their life after death, what he said he would. And therefore, if we believe they are where we think they are and know they are, we can trust that when we persevere through the hard things, through the trials, through the temptations, through the testings, big and small, that God will be faithful to us. He's going to be faithful to give us grace. And in the end of our story, whenever that is, he's going to be faithful to bring us where we ought to be. So we have unmatched examples. Number two, the power to persevere is available to us. We talked about this already. It's that word grace. Grace is the thing that empowers us as followers of Jesus to do what he said to do, and persevering is one of the things that he told us to do. Persevering through trials, through hard times. One writer about the accepting of grace said this, in the time of struggle we ought to have recourse to God with perfect confidence, abiding steadfast in the presence of his divine majesty and in lowly adoration, we should tell out before God our griefs and our failures, asking him lovingly for the help of his grace. And in our weakness, we shall find him our strength. How good is that? In our weakness, we shall find him our strength. We are not, though we're tough, able to persevere the way he's calling us to. I don't believe that. This is not the, human, the power of the human spirit. I'm beating a dead horse now. This is not the power of the human spirit. This is not toughness. This is not rolling up our sleeves and muscling through it. It's not grittiness. 
And so I challenge you all, like I've been challenged by this text this week, to ask yourself where you've told God, I can handle this. We often do that in those small trials, don't we? We're thinking, I could probably handle this. God, like, I'm not going to involve God because it's, it's not, that ba- that, not that bad. I can handle this. I, I'm pretty tough. And I think that's where our minds go. Is, like I was saying, you guys, are, you guys are tough. You're hardworking people. You're resilient people. And I think we get in the habit of not involving God in our small trials. And do you know who loves that? Our enemy. Because what, what we're teaching ourselves when we say, God, I've got this. I can handle this. I don't need you this time. I can do it. I can, I can make my way through this trial. What we're doing is we're teaching ourselves each time that trial comes to not take the path next to God. We're taking the path on our own. So I challenge you, as you think about your past decisions, your past dealings with trials, where have you told God I can handle this? And, and with each trial that comes to you in the future, because they're coming, unfortunately, they're coming, with the small ones especially, please involve God. If we're going to persevere through trials, we need to abide with him. We need to connect to him. We need to rely upon him. We need to let him be our crutch because we're weak. We... We can't handle every trial. We can't on our own. So we rely upon God's grace, and we abide with endurance through the trials big and small. And if we aren't abiding in Jesus as we persevere, we aren't actually persevering as Christians should. I'm convinced of that. Number three, testing is a spiritual life accelerator. I don't mean this in terms of like it's just going to rocket ship your, the speed of your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, but I mean it in the sense of putting accelerator on a fire, how it will heat it up. It, it will refine even more. It'll, it'll pare away those things which God says, I don't like that. And as we learn that process of perseverance grows us in maturity, so it's growing in us. It's, it's accelerating our growth and maturity. That's what testing does. And, and something that I alluded to at the last point is when we rely upon God, I think, through our trials, the, the obvious thing that is yielded out of that is joy. When I, when I find my way through a trial because I've leaned upon God, when I've relied upon him through it, my heart is going to have that calm delight and assurance knowing I have a God who's going to walk me through these hard things. And unfortunately, the result of toughing it out and gritting our teeth and doing it our way and saying, God, I can handle this, is that we grow not in joy, but we grow in pride. That's my challenge to you all is I don't want us to be prideful in thinking we can do everything, we can go through these trials without God. I don't want that for anybody. Because we're going to find a trial at some point in time, more than likely, that's going to knock us down. It's going to knock us down hard. And we're going to be thinking, man, I thought, I thought I was doing good. I thought I was handling all these little trials on my own. I was doing all right. And then now I'm sitting here on my back looking at the sky, right? I don't want us to grow in pride. I want us to grow 
enjoy. Enjoy not necessarily external, though it can be. I, I love people who are really smiley and stuff because I'm not, I, that's just not my personality. But I love people who are really smiley and joyful. We need people like that. But we also need people who have calm, delight, joy deep in our hearts. So our hearts trust that God is working out our kinks and he's making us like him when we face these trials. These trials are the things that make us into who God wants us to be. And it's, and it's our job to participate in persevering. We have, a, we have a part in this thing. We don't just become a follower of Jesus and then God just shoots us through everything. He, he perseveres for us. Though he did persevere for us in Jesus, we have to participate. We have to be abiding in him. That's part of this all. Jessica, you can come on up. One final illustration I want to give to you all to hopefully, again, encourage and challenge you. When I was in living in Montana, Katie and I, for evening entertainment, sometimes would go down to the Bitterroot River. And this is going to sound so hillbilly, but we'd go down to the Bitterroot <laughs> River, and we'd hike up a mile, mile and a half, and we'd just jump in the river, swim down, get in the car and go home. That was our evening entertainment. It was super fun. It was just simple, cost zero dollars, maybe some gas money, but it was, it, we loved to do it. It was out in nature, get some fresh air at the end of the day. It was great. And every once in a while, the, the water where we would swim was about chest high, and every once in a while, if I was feeling good, I would, I'd try to like stop myself and like resist the flow of the water coming at me. And if I was really confident that day, I would try to, you know, walk up against the stream. And it was kind of tough. It was a challenge. I like a little challenge every once in a while. So I'd, I'd see how far I could go. But it took just really short, slow, deliberate steps because those rocks are slippery, you know. And if you tried to go fast, you'd slip and fall and it'd take you down river. It's a silly illustration. And yet I think that there are probably some of us in the room who, if not right now, at some point in our life, have felt like the trials, the temptations, the testings in our life have been taking us downriver, and we haven't had a fight in the game. We've just been taken downriver. And I think we know that in our Christian walk, there are things that we are, we're supposed to have an ability to get through hard things, and yet we still get taken down river, and we're, we're losing the battle, it seems like. It feels like we're just out of control. And this is, this is what we need to see, is I think that our goal is to walk upstream. Though these trials are going to keep coming our whole life, we, we've got we've to have the resolution and the hope of what's upstream. And we do that by getting some help, right? Getting some help by grabbing the hand of our friend in Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus, who persevered. He's our example of perseverance. And when we grab onto him, it's easier to get our footing. And then it's even easier each step we take to grow in confidence that he, he's going to help me out this next time, and he's going to help me out this next time. And there's compound interest each step we take. We grow in our trust of him. So I encourage you, if you, if you are feeling like you're getting taken down river, reach out. That's the first step. You've got to reach out to him and trust each step you go forward. Jesus explained to his disciples tough, tough passages. There's a lot, it's a lot like the 
tough passage Dan preached on last week, but Jesus is telling his disciples about how he's going to die, but he'll be resurrected, but then he's going to leave. And then these people, his people, they're going to unfortunately be persecuted for their faith in him. And he, he gives them a charge in this speech, kind of towards the end of it. He says these words, and I think he's saying these words to us as well. Though our persecution is different, though our trials are different than those, he says, stand firm. It's the same word, pupomeno. Persevere, abide with endurance, he says, and you will win life. So that's what's upstream. That's, at the, that's what's at the end of this all. When we, when we meet our end on this earth, in this body, in this time, when we stand firm, that's what we win. We win life, Jesus says. So keep on abiding with Jesus as you endure in these trials or start abiding with him as you endure them as well. Jessica's going to sing a song. Dan will come up and pray. These words, this song, let it be your call out to God if you need it today. If you, if you are feeling like you are getting taken downstream, let this be a time to get your footing, grab onto the one who's going to help you start walking upstream, okay? Jessica, it's all you.